Hello and welcome to Randoming of the Randomness Podcast. I am your host, Carissa, and today we are talking about kink memes. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for taking the time out to listen in. Thank you for spending your free moment to check this podcast out. I am very appreciative of it. Uh, Just a little bit of podcast housekeeping. Tomorrow will be the second episode. Um, in second interview episode with Trisha, also known as Aosu. She is a dear friend and an even darling person and I cannot wait to share with you what we have been talking about. Interview episodes come out every second and fourth Thursdays, main episodes are out every Wednesday, and every last day of the month will be fanfiction recommendations from yours truly. And that is what you can expect on Tuesday, the 30th of June. I'll be recommending 10 fanfictions, so do listen in for what those may be, because, um, yeah, uh, your girl has a lot of bookmarks on AO3, and she needs to spread the love somehow, okay? <laughs> and also, uh, this episode might be a bit long, because I'm about to get really shamelessly nerdy about... Uh, something uh, I'm about to be very very hella excited about Dark Season 3 which is premiering this Friday the 27th of June on Netflix and I am looking forward to it but at the same time I'm supremely saddened by the fact that this show is coming to an end it is genuinely a pleasure to watch uh, it's one of the best shows out there on any traditional traditional cable tv or streaming service and it's so deftly written and it's so super intelligent it doesn't like try to dumb things down just you know to make it palatable for people um it's haunting in the best possible ways and i think it is well in my opinion at least it's the best netflix offering out there and yes i do think the show is better than stranger things which it has been compared to um for quite some time, I think it does get compared to um, Stranger Things, but like, yeah, I do. I've watched Stranger Things, and I really do believe this is so much better. <laughs> I know that I might, I might be incurring the hornet's uh, wrath of Stranger Things fans out there, but like, uh, don't care. I love the show, and if you like Stranger Things, yeah, cool. I like Stranger Things too, but I just think this one is better. And okay. Maybe the OA or Patriot Act or Daniel Sloss's comedy specials are... Oh, and Eliza Schlesinger's uh, comedy specials. uh, Maybe even close to being on par with with Dark, but that's just me. So if you are um, curious as to what Dark is about, uh, Dark is a German science fiction thriller family drama series created by Baron Bo Odor and Jan Je- I can't pronounce, I can't, I'm sorry, I, uh, I don't, uh, ich nicht sprechen sie Deutsch, uh, Jan Fries, Jan Jan Fries, uh, it's set in the fictional small town of Winden, it revolves around four interconnected families haunted by their secrets and contains elements of science fiction and fantasy. Now, um, I am definitely reading from the dark wiki, uh, so like the dark, not like dark net, dark web kind of wiki, but like the dark show wiki. Um, according to it, the genre it is listed under is crime, drama, mystery, science fiction, and fantasy. And um, this series is uh, Netflix's first original German series. The first season comprises of 10 episodes and premiered on the 1st of December 2017. And the second season comprised of 8 episodes and was released on the 21st of June 2019. And the third season, which is the one that's coming up, will be premiering, as said, on the 27th of June 2020. And um, the premise follows uh, that when two children go missing in a small German town, its sinful past is exposed, along with the double lives and fractured relationships that exist among four families as they search for the kids. 
The, the mystery drama series introduces an intricate puzzle filled with twists that includes a web of curious characters, all of whom have a connection to the town's troubled history, whether they know it or not. The story includes supernatural elements that tie back to the same town in 1986. Uh, so, yeah, like the main characters are um, Jonas Kanwald, uh, played by Louise Hoffman, uh, Ulrich Nielsen, played by Oliver Masucci, Ma- Masucci, uh, I can't, I'm sorry, uh, Katharina Nielsen uh, is played by Jordis Tribble. I can't, I'm sorry, and Hannah, uh, uh, Hannah Kanwald is played by, Kanwald is played by Maya Schoen, 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 um, Michael Kanwald is played by Sebastian Rudolph, Bernd Doppler is played by Antoli Taubman, Noah, oh my god, Noah is, is, Noah is hot priest, okay, I know that a lot of people are saying, like, um, Andrew Scott is hot priest, but, like, Mark Washka is also, like, there's, like, a lot of characters here, and, um, yeah, like, I don't want to spoil anything, because if I read this list out, you're probably going to get spoiled. Um, the series was created um, by, uh, by Bar- Baron Bo Adar, and it by a German writer, like, Jan Fries. I'm sorry, sir. Uh, it was produced by Quirin Berg, Max Wiedemann, and Justina Musch. All of the aforementioned have previously collaborated on the 2014 film Who Am I, which grossed $6 million at the local box office and won three German movie awards and the Bambi for best German film. So, yeah, it was, you know. The very first uh, Netflix original series uh, entirely authored, shot, and produced in Germany. Um, yeah, like, it was inspired very much by the Scandinavian Nordic noir genre, which, if you watch this, you will definitely pick that up. It, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, the darkness was, you know, a draw for me. Like, I, I, I love this, like... Yeah, like, um, Odar and Fries felt that German television was associated with something ugly and sad and that all German series were either thrillers or crimes, so they wanted to create something of higher, of a higher quality for a universal audience. And I'm very, 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 very um, thankful that they decided to do this because I am... I mean, I've not been... I mean, between them, between this show, Dark, and the OA, like, I've not been this entertained in years. Like, I love it. I love it when when a, when a media product just reaches out and just grips you by the throat and says, pay attention to me, because when you put this investment in me, I will pay dividends, and I will reward you in the satisfaction of plot twists and character development. And, and and character arcs and this show is oh my god it's so well written I can't like you guys you need to watch it you guys still have time you guys still have time once you're done with this podcast you know after you're done just go watch um you know just please even if you don't want to watch it fine I get it sometimes life is busy it gets busy like go on um youtube Google those like dark season one, season two breakdowns, hypnosis or whatever and get like, get in on this. Seriously, it's so worth your while. So yeah, okay. So initially dark was an idea for a crime show they had written two years prior to being contacted by Netflix and they had another idea for a time travel feature film and they combined the two ideas. Like having grown up in small towns themselves, the creators had a fascination with the subject of the of the darkness hiding behind closed doors in small towns and David Lynch's Twin Peaks which deals with uh, the same topic shaped them in their teenage years and they were definitely also inspired by their childhoods in German small towns during the Chernobyl Chernobyl nuclear disaster and when the release of radioactive materials spread fears of contamination and they also cited that other influences that um also influenced dark was definitely like Stephen King and you can tell you can tell 
So um, before its release, the series was often compared to Stranger Things based on its premise and partial 1980s setting. However, Dark was already in pre-production when Stranger Things premiered and the series is much darker and not for kids. Free stated that they enjoyed the comparisons, saying it's really exciting because if all those people who watch Stranger Things will at least think about watching Dark, I think that's a great opportunity for us. Some details had to be changed for the international audience to understand it. For example, some instances of sarcasm in dialogue were not, did not translate well to English because of the difference in tone. However, Netflix were okay in, with keeping some things with, which only Germans would understand as long as the overall narrative worked for everybody. Um, the series will conclude after a third season which the creators had envisioned from the beginning, which Bob Odar commenting they did not want to end up like lost. Like, I appreciate this because a lot of times, just for the sake of, you know, money and deals and whatever, and a lot of times these arcs, these narrative um, plot threads and everything, it gets lost. And I'm just so appreciative that this is one of those very rare I'm looking at you, Supernatural. This is one of those very rare uh, shows on uh, air right now that knows when it's time to say goodbye. And I'm so tremendously appreciative of this. Like, they're not beating the dead horse. This, I mean, it, with what they have, they could actually just draw it up to, like, five, uh, five seasons. Easy. But they decide not to. They're, like, going to end it. And I'm so appreciative. Like it, it makes me want to watch the show even more. And I am so glad that Netflix gave this, uh, gave them the, the creative licenses and the creative frames to, you know, plot the trage- trajectory of the show. Um, it's something I wish had happened for like things like Sense Eight and um, the OA. But you know that didn't happen. So you know we live with what we got. So yeah, like casting-wise, I think this is, uh, in terms of Dark's casting, this is like one of their main suits. Like I have a huge crush on Lewis Hoffman. <laughs> I think he's so cute. He's cute as a button, especially when he smiles. Like my friend at work, my colleague Sharon, she just laughs at me. She's like, he's not cute at all. And I'm like, no, but he is. <laughs> And yeah, so casting-wise, I think this is a strong suit because they, again, at the risk of spoiling anything, they have, whoever is their casting director deserves an Oscar because they do it so well. It's, it, 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 the casting itself, it's another character in the show. So Netflix backed allowing the creators to cast whoever they please, including like unknown actors. So Netflix just told the the you know, Netflix just told the film, because like, we don't we don't really know German actors, just get the best one. And so Bo Oder praised the creative freedom that they got from uh, Netflix. And he said, like, we could cast whoever we wanted, the actors who fit best for the role. Netflix gave us the budget uh, and a couple of notes and let us do it, which I think is good. And yeah, like filming took place in Berlin and surrounding areas. Much uh, of it was done during on location during winter with many of the scenes set in the rain. And actor Louis Hoffman said it was hard to always be cold and wet, the poor lamb. Um, but yeah, I... I, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say uh, to convince you uh, other than just please give this a chance. I mean, if you want to wait till season three is out to binge all of it this weekend, by all means do it. I don't think you're going to regret that decision. I mean, it's just, it's going to be just one weekend of your life. <laughs> it's not going to be a lot of um, commitment. It's not going to be like two years of commitment or whatever it's just one weekend of your life just give this a shot okay like i wish there would be more shows like this that actually makes you think but i do recognize that it may not be to everybody's taste um i do miss the time when cerebral uh, shows weren't called like oh you're just deliberately being smart just for the sake of being smart you know 
Um, and I, I adore these type of shows and I wish there was more. And I look forward to what Barambo Adore is going to do in the future because I think this is someone's, like, a creative that I will be following, um, whose projects I will be following. Same with Lewis Hoffman's dad. Oh my god, the dude is compelling as Jonas Conwald. And he is so, like, he arrests you from the moment he, he comes on screen. There is no way, in any way, shape, or form, that you do not empathize with the anguish and the pain that he goes through um, throughout the course of this series. So yes, uh, yeah, that was like a long as like beginning part, and we haven't even gone into the subject matter. Um, I like I said, this episode might be long, and I'm so sorry for it. Um, I'm so sorry, but not really. Okay, um, yeah, so now back to the topic on hand. Now we get started on the topic today, today's topic. So we just had like three episodes of me ranting, semi-ranting. Anyways, I thought it would be fun to talk about something that I was highly into when I was figuring out my fan self, my fan identity, the type of spaces and content I wanted to consume, how I wanted to interact with everybody else in fandoms, and I thought, why not talk about something that occupied so much of my late teens to early 20s? Um, so yeah, like we're going to talk about kink memes. Um, basically, kink memes are a fandom and shipping phenomenon um, originally uh, most of them like were based on live journal but a number of them uh, started on or moved to uh, dream with uh, a kink meme is where a user usually usually anonymous though the rules on this differ between kink memes uh, posts both a pairing and a kink or some kind of basic plot setup or some other stipulation. Another user then anonymously fills this request with either a piece of fan art or um, fan fiction. Uh, while kink memes, true to their name, usually contain plenty of smut, it usually uh, it is usually permissible to request fluff or drama fic with no sex or shipping elements as well, making this somewhat of an artifact title. So uh, I know we're getting into jargons now, so artifact title in this case is a series that made uh, perfect sense um, when it began, but after a number of changes to the premise no longer makes sense to people who don't, make, uh, don't go back um, to the beginning Sometimes a new element is put in just to justify the title. I mean, that's just like the basic of our artifact title, but you get what it means, right? Like, it's a kink and a meme. And um, some of the basic structures that I'm familiar with with uh, kink memes is uh, when, okay, for example, if you, like I was, uh, very active on the X-Men First Class kink memes. Uh, you wanted to see maybe uh, Charles Xavier and Eric Lanza. Um, so you put you put their their uh, pairing. Then you request, oh, um, I would like to see maybe uh, Charles and Eric on a picnic. Uh, and they get caught in the rain. And um, Eric has to be gallant and, 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 and gentlemanly to, to uh, Charles and they maybe share their first kiss under the rain and, and some Jane Austen, Byron-esque um, Morse wanting style or something and maybe a uh, then you just or you know you give them a rating that they can work in maybe you uh, you don't want any sexual elements so you just put a g you just want it to be general or maybe you want it to have a little bit of the uh, horizontal mumbo involved and you you say you just say what you want and you know you you want it to be pwp you want an abo whatever you can just put it there and the filler would try to fill as best as they can to your prompt um yeah, like I, yeah, that's like the basic of uh, <laughs> like the most like straightforward manner I can say of um, kink meme. So, uh, most of my info of this episode I got from the kink meme entrance or uh, entrance blah, 
the entry on Fenlor and I'm going to read out the basics. So kink memes are comment fake fests usually found on LiveJournal or Dreamweave or any other journaling services with similar threaded comment capability. Most are fandom or even parent-specific, and they are nearly always anonymous. Some run continuously, others have set times when posting is allowed. Fan post prompts, which can range from the very vague to, to so exact that they are nearly story outlines, and other fans fill by request by I feel the request by responding the custom made fan works usually fanfic but sometimes with fan art most kink memes will have content that meet either or both fanish definitions of kink but not all fills are sexually explicit the anonymous nature of the meme permits both prompters and fillers to have fewer inhibitions in making and filling requests and maybe a way for new fans to feel more comfortable about participating Films are not always short, even though the structure favors comment thick, length thick, some, are, some very long stories have been written which requires posting in multiple parts. For example, the Pendragon-Merlin pairing which began on the kink meme Merlin meme uh, in 24 parts was moved to a consolidated uh, set of posts on a related journal by the mod when it was finished. Many fills start off as a uh, work in progress, so WIPs, and many of those are abandoned and remain unfinished. I am guilty as charged. One of these people, I am part of that statistics. statistics. Okay. Fans may use the tracking features of Live Journal to monitor when new parts of their favorite stories are posted. Some fans do claim their work either immediately or after the run of a particular meme, but much work remains forever anonymous. Some fans have raised concerns about the large amount of fake that is only ever posted in comments on live journal communities and never archived elsewhere. Other fans prefer the culture of anonymity that a kink meme fosters and uses site and use sites like Delicious to organize their favorite fills for future reference. Some kink memes have their official Delicious lists that allows readers to read to search to search by pairing kink or character and to find unfilled prompts. Popularity of new fandoms can often be gauged by how fast a kink meme shows up for the fandom. So, okay, so a brief uh, look into the history of this is uh, the history of kink memes begins at what well, began in 20, uh, 20, uh, 20, 2007, 2007, 07, 07, in anime fandom and spread like wildfire. The earliest kink meme was started by Ketsumetsu on, in Bleach in the Bleach fandom um, on either May 7th or 8th, the post was written were, was rewritten and dated 1st July, but the first comment, a request, dated, was dated May 8th. Within a few weeks, the idea had already spread to, other, to several other anime and video game fandoms, plus a Spanish-language Harry Potter community. By October 2007, Evergreen Terrace. Evergreen Terrace started compiling a huge master list of kink memes, mostly anime fandom. Uh, many of the memes uh, in that master list was were hosted in one post of an uh, LJ community, so a live journal community or a live journal user's personal account, rather than having a dedicated live journal community as many later kink memes did. A good example of this is the Phoenix Wright kink meme, which was based um, on a series of Japanese games. Um, it had its first post on October 31st, 2007, and has been running continually ever since, billing itself as the longest-running kink meme on the internet. As of 2015, it was on its 28th part. Its first six years were hosted on a personal live journal account, only moving in 2013 to a dedicated community on Dreamwith. There appears to have been some wank surrounding the moderation of the first kink meme. Not only did Ketsu Metsu update their posts with references to entitled commenters, but also a later Bleach meme opened their first round with the Bleach 
anonymous kink meme finally has a permanent home, now without wankerific nods to take up internet, uh, take the internet seriously. Though this could be a reference to another bleach kink me kink mod in the interim who failed to leave, live up to um, expectations. Um, so in 2013, someone on fandom uh, fail underscore fandom anon commented, it is safe to say that for this meme, at least the first several pages of it were are all Liz and her LJ friends because while it was a public post, this wasn't cross-posted to fitcoms or bleachcoms to drama participation. I point that out only because it's interesting that such a fandom zeitgeist like this just popped up totally organic, organically in someone's LJ who was nerding out with their friends. This is also the reason it and many of the other proto-kink memes were hosted in individual LJs before they became more of an anon-com thing. The main reason this one got shut down with the angry message up top that there is now. Um, I think once people caught on to the fun, tons, tons of kink memes propped up with varying levels of participation, quality, and moderation. Liz just wasn't interested in moderating a sprawling, long-running meme like the one hers turned into, and because it was unknown, people were dicks about the lack of moderation, so she shut it down. I mean, just like a lot of things, like uh, people usually are dicks and things just get shut down. I mean, that's what happens when dicks exist <laughs> in fat, like you know, in situations like this. I'm not even gonna say fandom spaces. Fandom spaces just always have dicks. Like you're always gonna find these people, um, party poopers. I would call them. Personally, I've been around to see what uh, of what was considered like history, like yeah, fandom history right now. I was on LJ for most of uh, it, like live journal for most of it, and I honestly can say that I have seen kink memes grow and change and take on different shapes and forms to fit the fandoms that they were formed for. Um, I myself ran a kink meme unsuccessfully. I have abandoned it right now. Like, I'm not even going to tell you which one it was. Uh, yeah, like, and I definitely agree with um, the comment that says that a lot of the comment fix were done anonymously and wasn't like archived in any way, shape, or form. Like because yeah, I mean, when I left um, Live Journal, I knew I was leaving a lot of what I wrote behind. Like the main, like the beginning, the beginnings of my fan fiction writing career. <laughs> pretty much, like that was like you know those diary diary ish writings. I existed on kink memes. I lived, breathed kink memes for so long, um, especially in the late uh, noughties, early 10, like 2010s. And yeah, like when I deleted my uh, live journal account, I knew I was risking losing everything. And I did it anyways, because I knew that was just, you know, I just had to do it. I mean, it doesn't make me, does it wake me up at night thinking that there are in the nether sphere of the web um, my fan fiction that's floating around forever, just wondering where I am and whether I am ever going to claim it. Yes, it does sometimes. And it's a very creepy and scary thing to be thinking about, but it does. It wakes me up sometimes because my, my fan fictions are like my babies. Okay? Yeah. So the trajectory of this like kink meme grows and, uh, growth and change is this, it's best shaped in the words of Berlin Wall. Wall? who wrote Berlin Wall's awesome slash tutorial for cool people in 2011. And this is something you can be, that can be found in EO3. Um, it's an article that is of its time, I have to say, but it gave me ideas of what I may want to cover in the future. So I'm definitely coming back to this article when that opportunity comes around. So Berlin says, having slash uh, pre-kink meme, heavily, having written, sorry, I can't English, Having written slash pre kink meme and post kink meme, I can tell you the I can tell you one thing that's changed. Writers used to be mainly inhibited by fear that their story might be too outrageous. Now that everyone is able to post outrageously kinky things as anons, people have instead become more inhibited by the unprecedented number of complaints that are leveled by other fans with the privilege of going anon. 
Here's a true story, which illustrates how pre-kink meme fandom could inhibit a writer. Back in 2002, I wrote a scene that included snowballing. I showed it to two friends and both said, Ew, gross. I thought, Oop, oh, oops, my bad, too kinky. So, and so I left it out of the final draft. Cut to nine years later, when I read the Sherlock kink meme for the first time, I was flabbergasted in the best way possible. Jesus, I thought. Not only do these anons want snowballing, they want rimming, they want fisting, spanking, pissing, medfed, DP, tentacles, they want John coming on, on Sherlock's face, they want Lestrade coming on Sherlock's face, they want Moriarty coming on Sherlock's face. Back in those days, it was, much, uh, it was a much bigger deal to criticize things you didn't like in fic because you didn't want to be that fan who pissed in everyone's cornflakes. Very few fandoms had fics in the triple digits, so most slash readers would hope that a lousy writer who got better over time rather than criticize her and risk scaring her away entirely. Now that readers can go anon, complaints are more common, though I wouldn't go so far as to say ubiquitous. Maybe you are, you're on the rant post and you see someone sound off about all these stupid fics where Sherlock, Sherlock wants to have sex with John as an experiment. You might want, what you might miss is the response to that post where another Anon says, actually, I like our experimental sex. I think it's fun and silly and awesome. Yeah, that's, so that's what Berlin says. And I agree. Like, I definitely saw that. I definitely saw like this... Uh, uh, sailing like um, sinking into comfortability and familiarity with like a lot of fans um, and I th- I'm definitely part of that I mean I'm definitely that fan who got better over time I'm not gonna say like my fan fiction writing is like good or whatever but I got better over time okay so like as with everything in the world Kink memes are not without its own controversies. Um, but a lot of times, kink memes are associated. Oh my goodness, my mom keeps banging the door. I can't. I can't even. Um, a lot of times, kink memes are associated with wank, where fans raise concerns on prompts and or feels that touch on what may be considered things that are taboo. And taboo in this sense are squeaks like incest. Age play, regression, difference, uh, age difference, and preg rep fantasy amongst um, a whole list of others that come under the purview of stuff a lot of angry people on the internet get all up in arms about. I mean, as much as we would like to say that fandom spaces are these magical places of acceptance and freedom to explore, as much as we want to say that we respect folks' interests and desires, we really don't. The user Jazzy Palm says in a, in a post on DreamWiz, memes are spaces for people to throw out their wildest, kinkiest fantasies and not be judged, but actually rewarded for thinking such thoughts. Or to use the cover of Anon to write on subjects that you wouldn't have written otherwise due to your fandom quote-unquote branding, so to speak. Suppose a meme is used as a theatre to indulge in one's ignorance or in LJ speak, showing one's ass uh, regarding various sexes, religious, ethnic, gender and racial tropes to the point where it's quite disturbing. Do you, as a fan of conscience, go along with the meme and post or should you raise a hand and go, mm, wait a minute. I ask this because by me participating in a meme that had some disturbing incidents of othering, I tacitly endorsed said meme. By not speaking up about it in the comments, more on that later, uh, or not even taking my concerns to the moderator before the prompts became a recurring decimal of fail, I supported the meme. And all these weeks later, with everything else on my plate, I'm still shifting through the issues in my head. So I will avoid failing the next time around, or fail better. Recently, a couple of months, give or take, there has been a pushback from a certain fan, from certain fan, and uh, this general, in fa- this fandom in general, I don't know which fandom she's reter- referring to because she just wrote this op- op- open letter and it was written like almost like 10 years ago, um, expressing how fandom isn't what it used to be and are prickly about the notion of people examining fanfic in light, say, of the real world because fanfiction is not real life and real life is hard enough. 
there's a seething resentment towards the new Aka fans, the ones who insist on holding up fanfic under the lens of uh, the intersect, uh, be it feminism, racism, sexism, ableism at all, uh, and either finding it wanting or asking the people that write to do better. Their reasons range from real life, in uh, real life is hard and complicated enough, fandom is supposed to be fun, to ugh you people, or if I can't write about it, the other, I can't write about the other in the way I want to, I shan't write about the other at all. So like that was all from Jazzy Palm. I mean, I respect the need to be practical and pro protective, to be protective about the the space you occupy, whether in their web sphere or in the real physical world. I understand the need to tailor and be critical of the the media you consume. I mean, look at my previous episode, okay? Like, just go and have a listen. I'm all for calling out things that make you uncomfortable. Like, call them out all you want. Go for it, my dudes. I mean, it seems like the last year, last five, five years specifically, it's the thing do joy to do. But for myself, and maybe because I've been on too many kink memes to count, I can't care less what you put out as a kink meme prompt or a fill. I can't care. <laughs> I can't care less. I am a firm believer of your kink is not my key kink and that's okay. I couldn't give two wits about whatever your ships or kinks are. It's got nothing to do with me and it, if it doesn't affect me directly, I'm of the opinion that you can exist in your own sphere of interests, specific interests, and I can be in mine. Again, this may be down to purely because of, I started writing in the noughties, like lurking, like I did not, yeah, I, I just started out like lurking in the supernatural kink meme. And if any of you are old, like listening in, are old enough to remember the days of the supernatural kink meme, like when it was in its height, uh, you would probably remember the um, whole thing about oh, um, RPF not being allowed and there was like a whole wank over it and then there was the whole thing about like underage um, prompts not being allowed like I, like, uh, I think they, they kind of locked it kind of and there was some real, real crazy shit going on on Supernatural Kink memes and some of them some of them still haunt me till today because I have had those like mental images like seared into my brain and yeah, like maybe because I was lurking on that like supernatural kink meme, like I got that, like I got rid of, um, how to say this, like my inhibitions, uh, if that's the right word, like I got rid of that um, veneer, that film in my brain that says, oh, maybe I shouldn't interact with this. <laughs> so it's allowed me to be a little bit more uh, loose, Lucy Goosey with um, what I uh, consider good or whatever. I don't know. I'm not going to, like, I second analyze myself on a daily basis enough. I'm not going to do it on my podcast, yeah? So, yeah. Interacting with nameless strangers on the internet back then was, you know, when stranger danger meant be being careful of folks in the streets more so than online because being online was such a foreign and specifically timed thing because broadband was only becoming a thing back then and dial-up was still very much the demonic hell song in many parts of the world. Yeah, I say demonic hell song because I can still, on a, on a right, like, Summer's evening, I can hear that damn dial-up song. Like, it's, it's just so loud in my brain. Like, the, the, like the screeching. <laughs> but yeah, like, I can't care less. Like, going back on this, I really, I can't care less. For me, if I don't ship or like the same kinks that you do, all I need to do is click the back button and choose something else to read. That's my mother's operandi. If I don't um, like what you are offering me, cool. Um, you go do you. Um, if, say, example, you label it certain things I don't, you know, I don't like, I'm 
I'm not going to interact with it because hey, you've labeled it. Thank you for labeling it, um, tagging it with things that you know are trigger warnings or 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 whatever. Um, if I'm gonna like, I think this is a thing. I don't know if it's a thing. <laughs> I know it's a thing with me. I don't know if it's a thing with other people. But uh, I read what's on the label. I read the synopsis. I read the tags if there's no synopsis. I read um, what other people are saying about this like particular fanfiction. Um, because, hey, I'm not going to deliberately put myself in, in situations where I have to consume things that I don't want to, right? And if you write about something I don't agree with, I'm just... Obviously, I'm going to like be, okay, like, that's just stupid, but I'm going to not you know, deliberately just go approach you and say, I do not agree with you. I don't agree with what you are writing. I think it's disgusting. I think it's horrible that you are writing about these things. It's, it's, it's nasty. Think about the children. Think about the children. Now, we're going to talk about minors in fandom spaces on a different day. It's not going to be today. I have a lot. Girl, we got a lot to unpack. Okay, it is a vogue where it's got issues and issues. I know we said we weren't going to do rants, but um, I lied. <laughs> I lied. Uh, yeah, we're ranting right now. I'm sorry. So yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of times there's like this um, loss of that concept that if you don't like it, don't interact, you know? I mean, if I'm reading something and it takes the turn down the path of maybe not being a thing for me, I just stop and go back to the search. Like, because like I said, like I said, I just, I can't care less. I mean, does this make me apathetic to the issues that crop up in fandom spaces? Issues that keep coming up. Issues that I've been hearing about, even as teens, like issues with like, like you know, the above mentioned um, user says like stuff like glorifying, um, fetishizing race, fetishizing sex, um, you know, just fetishizing um, unhealthy coping mechanisms and and um, un, you know unsafe BDSM practices. No, I'm not apathetic. I am aware of these issues. I'm very well aware of them and I will talk about them from time to time and hopefully if the muses allow my exhausted pigeon self can master it, make this into a discussion or an episode. There are things that I was okay with and into as a 17-year-old that I can acknowledge as a 29-year-old as not being a thing I should have even been into or even be in, been interacting with. Like, what was I thinking? Where were my parents? Look, okay, I... I know where my parents were and that was not understanding what was it too like they did not understand me okay like they like I, they didn't understand what I was into but they were trying their best to be as supportive as possible I think that was pretty much on par on course for a lot of kids in the noughties with like fandom uh, experiences there are even things that I was into when uh, I was 22 that I knew were a little bit more than messed up like hindsight is twenty twenty, a pun, pun intended. <laughs> I can now learn. I mean, as I am in this place where I am in life, rational. I mean, I can rationalize my behaviors back then as human behaviors, and I shall learn from them. I'm not trying to be vague about the things, uh, about things to glorify them. I know they perhaps don't mean much to newer fans and it probably sounds a bit bizarre to be talking about something that may not even be a thing that your fandom has. Like, I, I'm very well aware of the fact that there are a lot of people that don't even know what a kink meme is. Like, I know I have younger cousins who just, they don't, they don't even know what a kink meme is. They're like, what the hell is that? We've got Discord. <laughs> Which is, yeah, cool for you. I'm scared of Discord. I got, like king shamed on discord before and i had to salt and burn the earth behind me when i left but you know that's 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 a case for another day but for this moment like in this like this moment as it always has been for me it just means i'm fully committed to not dictating your fandom experiences you do you dear listeners as long as you harm none do what you will 
your fandom experiences should be dictated by one person, which is you. You are, um, you are responsible for how you, you know, what you get out of a fandom experience. You are responsible for keeping your own space safe. You are responsible for um, how you interact with others. Because it's your fandom experience. But on that same note, um, if you see something shady, say it. Yeah, you see someone being like, like scary or a bit uh, iffy, like say it. Um, don't try or just because maybe they're like a big name fan or something, just hide behind it. Okay. Okay. So actually, I had um, recorded like something uh, for this particular segment because I I. I wanted to talk about the the issue that's been happening in uh, Yemen and yeah I, I recorded it I actually talked about it and then I did a little bit more reading and I talked to a little bit more people and it just came out that okay where how where I was taking what the things that I was uh, saying like the ways that I was saying it was probably not uh, particularly accurate so I'm I'm doing uh, this uh, whole entire shebang again uh, so if you hear that this audio recording may sound a little bit different you know, there's like more sounds in the background then yeah this this is this is the reason um, okay so yeah like I just wanted to take a minute to talk about uh, Yemen uh, I want to state and clarify that I am not in any way trying to overshadow or diminish the importance of the BLM movement by talking about this matter, and I hope that you don't take it in that way. Um, the BLM movement still, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement still holds some uh, a very important and and you know urgent place in my heart, and um, I urge you all not to just you know just because there's uh some strides being made uh to think that oh it's over the protests um have worked this is when um we need to maintain momentum this is when momentum needs to be kept up um we cannot uh falter not at this stage so um please if you um are still looking for ways uh, on how to help. There are so many resources right now uh, out there, um, but I will leave um, some in the episode description box, so please do check those out. But right now, I just want to take a minute to talk about Yemen. Um, so the Yemen crisis, why is there a war? I'm like taking this from um, uh, the BBC News website. Um, this is an article that was published on the 19th of June, 2020. So pretty recently. Um, okay, so how did this war, this war start? The conflict has its roots in the failure of a political transition supposed to bring stability to Yemen following an Arab Spring uprising that forced its longtime authoritarian President Ali Abdullah Saleh to hand over power to his deputy, Abdrabbu. Mansur Hadi in 2011. As president, Mr. Hadi struggled to deal with a variety of problems, including attacks by jihadists, a separatist movement in the south, the continuing loyalty of security personnel to Saleh, as well as corruption, unemployment, and food insecurities. The, the Houthi movement, formerly known, uh, known formally as Ansar Allah, which champions Yemen's Zaidi Shia Muslim minority and fought a series of rebellions against Saleh during the previous decade, took advantage of the new president's weakness by taking control of their northern heartland of Sada province and neighboring areas. Disillusioned by the transition, many ordinary Yemenis, including Sunnis, supported the Houthis. And in late 2014 and early 2015, the rebels gradually took over the capital, Sana'a. The Houthis and security forces loyal Saleh, who, thought, who was thought to have backed his erstwhile enemy in, enemies in a bid to regain power, then attempted to take control of the entire country, forcing Mr. Hadi to flee abroad, abroad in March 2015. 
alarmed by the rise of a group they believe to be backed by backed military sorry backed militarily by regional Shia power Iran Saudi Arabia and eight other mostly Sunni Arab states began an air campaign aimed at defeating the Houthis and the Iran's influence in Yemen and restoring Mr. Hadi's government. The coalition received logistical and intelligence support from the US, UK and France. So what has happened since then? At the start of the war, Saudi, offic Saudi officials forecast that it would only last um, it would last only a few weeks, but four years of military stalemate have followed. Coalition ground troops landed in the southern port city of Aden in August 2015 and helped drive the Houthis and their allies out of much of the south over the last few months. Mr. Hadi's government has established a temporary home in Aden, but struggles it struggles to provide basic services and security, and the president continues to be based in Saudi Arabia. The Houthis, meanwhile, have not been dislodged from Sana'a and northern western Yemen. They have been able to maintain a siege of the third city of Taiz and to launch regular ballistic missile and drone attacks on Saudi Arabia. In September 2019, Saudi Arabia's eastern oil fields of Abqaiq and Qurais were attacked by air and disrupting nearly half of the kingdom's oil production, representing around 5% of global oil input output. Sorry. The Houthis claimed responsibility, but Saudi Arabia and the US accused Iran of carrying out the attacks. Militants from Al-Qaeda in the Arab Arabian Peninsula Aqab and Aqab and the local affiliate of the rival Islamic um, state group IS, IS have taken advantage of the chaos by seizing territory in the south and carrying out deadly attacks, notably in Aden. The launch of a ballistic missile towards Riyadh in November 2017 prompted the Saudi-led coalition to tighten its blockade of, of Yemen. It said it wanted to halt the smuggling of weapons to the rebels in Iran, an accusation Tehran denied. But the restrictions led to a substantial increases in the prices of food and fuel, helping to push more people into food insecurity. The alliance between the Houthis and Ali Abdullah Saleh also collapsed in, in November 2017, following deadly clashes over control of Sana'a's biggest mosque. Houthi fights... Houthi fighters launched an operation to take full control of the capital and Saleh was killed. In June 2018, the coalition attempted to break the deadlock on the battlefield by launching a major offensive captured from the Houthis the Red Sea city of Hudaydah, whose port is the principal lifeline for almost two-thirds of Yemen's population. The UN warned that the port's destruction would constitute a tipping point beyond which it was going to be impossible to avert massive loss of life due to famine. After six months of fighting, the warring parties agreed a ceasefire at talks in Sweden. The Stockholm Agreement required them to redeploy their forces from Hudeda, establish a prisoner exchange mechanism and to address the situation in Taiz. While hundreds of prisoners have since been released, the full de redeployment of forces from Hudeda has not yet taken place, raising fears that the Stockholm Agreement will collapse and the battle for Hudeda will resume. In July 2019, the United Arab Emirates, a key ally of Saudi Arabia in the war, faced, uh, facing international criticism of its conduct, announced a withdrawal of its forces from Yemen. In August, fighting erupted in the south between Saudi-backed government forces and an ostensibly allied southern separatist movement supported by the UAE and the Southern Transitional Council. Forces, forces loyal to the SEC, which accused Mr. Hadi of mismanagement and links to Islamists, seized control of Aden and refused to allow the cabinet to return until Saudi Arabia brokered a power-sharing deal that November. The UN hoped the agreement would clear the way for a political settlement to end the civil war, 
but in June, in January 2020, there was a sudden escalation in hostilities between the Houthis and coalition-led forces, with fighting on several front lines, missile strikes and air raids. In April 2020, the SDC declared self-rule in Aden, breaking a peace deal signed with the internationally recognized government, saying it would govern the port city and southern provinces. Saudi Arabia announced a unilateral, unilateral ceasefire the same month due to coronavirus pandemic, but the Houthis rejected it, demanding the lifting of air and sea blockades in Sana'a and Hudaydah. What's been the human cost? In short, Yemen is experiencing the world's worst humanitarian crises. The UN had verified the deaths of at least 7,700 civilians by March 2020, which, most caused by, which was most caused by Saudi-led coalition airstrikes. Monitoring groups believe the death toll is far higher the U.S.-based Armed Conflict Location and Event Data Project said in October 2019 that it had recorded more than 100,000 fatalities, including 12,000 civilians killed in direct attacks. More than 23,000 fatalities were reported in 2019, making it the second most lethal year of the war so far. Thousands more civilians have died from preventable causes, including malnutrition, disease, and poor health. The, sh the charity Save the Children estimated that 85,000 children with severe acute malnutrition might have died between April 2015 and October 2018. About 80%, uh, uh, eight, about eight, sorry, I can't English for a second there. About 80% of the population, 24 million people, need human humanitarian assistance and protection. Some 20 million people need help securing food, according to the UN. Almost 10 million of them are considered one step away from famine. An estimated 2 million children are acutely malnourished, including more than 360,000 children under 5 years old who are struggling to survive. With only half of the, of the country's 3,500 medical facilities fully functioning, almost 20 million people lack access to adequate health care, and almost 18 million do not have enough clean water or access to adequate sanitation. Consequently, medics have struggled to deal with the largest cholera, 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 sorry, cholera outbreak ever recorded, which has recorded in, it resulted, sorry, in more than 2.2 million suspected cases and 3,895 related deaths since October 2016. The United Nations has warned that the death toll from the coronavirus pandemic could exceed the, total com the combined toll of war disease and hunger over the last five years. The UN also issued a desperate plea for financial aid, saying its operations in the country, including vital health services, were severely underfunded. The war has displaced more than 3.65 million people from their homes. Why should this matter to the rest of the world? What happens in Yemen can greatly exacerbate regional tensions. It also worries the West because of the threats, such as from the Al-Qaeda or IS affiliates, emanating from the country as it becomes more unstable. The conflict is also seen as part of a regional power struggle between Shia-ruled Iran and Sunni-ruled Saudi Arabia. Gulf Arab states, backers of President Hadi, have accused Iran of bolstering the Houthis financially and military militarily, though Iran has denied this. Yemen is also strategically important because it sits on a strait linking the Red Sea with the Gulf of Aden, through which much of the world's oil shipments pass. Okay, so in my original like recording, I actually just was like, you know, donate to the UNICEF, uh, you know, just read up on the resources on the UNICEF website and um, it's come to light that I you you need to first up stop donating to UNICEF second stop sharing trauma porn and just understand that not every Yemen petition does anything the first 
think the first step that you need to do is actually to listen to the Yemenis who have been working to end this for years. And I'm basing um, these next parts uh, on uh, a user uh, from like a, a user thread, like a user Twitter, Twitter thread. I'm old, okay? I'm old. So um, I'm going to link that thread um, in the episode description box as well. So I, I, again, I hope you... You check that out. Um, it's uh, a Twitter a Twitter thread which is like in screen cap, like a like a screenshot, um, and uh, found on the um, Tumblr uh, profile. Alfaba for president of Gal- Alfaba for president of Gallifrey. Yes. Okay. So um, the thread is from a person who is actually Yemeni. So yeah gonna trust this one uh okay so you should advocate for the charity yemenfoundation.org because they also do anti-war work um if you can put some pressure especially if you are from the states if you are from the uk you're from france um Put some pressure on your representatives. Put some pressure on your local government. Make them care. Call them. Email them. Do whatever it takes. Make them care. Um, if you are from countries who aren't reportedly on the on the list, if your country is allied with any of these countries, make them care. And I know that it's a bit controversial for me to say this right now because I live and I am from a Muslim-majority country, and yeah, like Saudi Arabia apparently, like the UAE, they have a lot of, um, you know, uh, relations, foreign relations with a lot of foreign governments. So if your uh, government has uh, formal ties or for, like a recognized relationship, diplomatic relationship with the, um, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, or Iran, put some pressure make it count make your voices count okay so yeah like everything you need uh like to know uh, will be uh found at end the yemen war dot c-a-r-r-d dot co um follow um them on instagram and facebook there they are the yemeni alliance committee um there will be resources um teaching you like you know no, well not really teaching you but like you who you should be paying attention to who you should you know take a note of and um yeah i urge you to to check that out um I, again i will be linking that in the episode description box so yeah pretty much just main thing don't yeah don't boost unicef don't um donate to unicef um there are alternative ways to help and the best way to learn about how to help is by actually listening to the people who are seeking that help. I also want to take a moment to say that if you need to take some time for yourself to have a minute, a day, a week of social media from away, the, away from all the news feeds and the inundation of news, please do it is exhausting to care when everything needs to have its share of your attention. I know it can be a radical statement to make right now to say that it's okay not to care, but please take care of you. Look out for you. It sounds selfish, I know. But if you have someone around you that feels like they're going to burn out, or even if, they're, if you can tell like they're on the edge of burning out, even before that, Please tell them it's okay to take care of themselves first. You can't change the world if you yourself aren't up to it. And on that note, it, that's our episode for today. Thank you for sticking around. I'm sorry it was like so long. I just had a lot to talk about today, yeah? <laughs> Thank you for sticking around. 
If you'd like to send me a comment, a feedback, or a topic suggestion, send them to randomingpodcast at gmail.com. That is R-A-N-D-O-M-I-N-G podcast at gmail.com. Or you can check my Instagram out at the Gab Carry. So that is T-H-E-G-A-B-C-A-R-R-I-E. Just a reminder that Randoming of the Randomness podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please, please remember to give it a five-star rating and review wherever you can because this will help us out so much. I am begging you. I am pleading you. Yeah, please. <laughs> I kind of need the five-star review-ish. Um, I have been your host, Carissa, signing off and wishing you, dear listeners, a wonderful day ahead, week, or weekend, whenever you are listening in. Bye for now.